Habakkuk chapter 3, please. Habakkuk chapter 3. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, we thank you today for the privilege we have of joining together in this place around your word. And we thank you, Father God, for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you gave it unto us that we can study it. And we pray that, Lord, as we look into your word again this morning, that you would reveal to us that which you would have us to learn from your word. That, Lord, we might rejoice in you and we might leave singing your praise today. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, from on high, that I might have uh, that uh, uh, liberty to preach your word, that I might have clarity of thought. Lord, I'd say only those things you would have me to say today, and that, Lord, through your word, we would receive the blessing that you would have for us, and we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we saw that after hearing the promise and the warnings of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Baker concludes his book with prayer and praise. We saw the prayer for the work of God in verses 1 and 2. We saw the vision of the majesty of God in verses 3 through 15. And the cycle of thought is complete here in verse 16, where we read, When I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice of rottenness, entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Here in verse 16, we find that it takes us back to the subject of verse 2 in this chapter, where Habakkuk had said, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. And so the cycle of truth, cycle of thought, is completed here in verse 16. Because Habakkuk is filled with fear and dread at the coming anguish and of the impending invasion of the Babylonians. But his communion with God and his meditation upon God have brought him to a place of trust in his God. As he reflects in these closing verses, or as is reflected in these closing verses, verses 16 to 19, for in verses 16 to 19 we have recorded one of the greatest confessions of faith found anywhere in Scripture. Habakkuk faced, uh, has faced the frightening fact that his nation will be invaded by a merciless enemy. The prophet knows that many of the people will be taken into captivity, led into exile, and many of his fellow friends and companions will be slain. The land will be ruined, and Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. Yet he tells God that he will trust him no matter what happens. You know, Habakkuk finds the all-sufficient answer to all of his questions in the all-sufficient God. He will trust the Lord even though all the blessings may seem to fail. What a wonderful challenge to us in the days in which we live to simply trust God no matter what. Listen, if you would, with me this morning to the confession 
of the prophet Habakkuk in these closing verses of this book. Firstly, notice he says, I trembled in myself that I rest in the day of trouble. In verse 16, he says, when I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. He says this phrase, that I might rest in the day of trouble. Effectively, what he's saying is, I will wait patiently on the Lord. I am troubled. I am trembling. My knees are shaking. I am not looking forward to the prospect of the invasion of the Babylonians. They knew what the Babylonians were like. The Chaldeans were known for their cruelty and, their, uh, and they were coming and he knew what was going to happen. And so in and of himself, he was scared. He was, he was afraid. But in the midst of all this, he says, I will wait patiently on the Lord. I will rest in the day of trouble. You know, if Habakkuk had depended on his feelings, he would never have made this great confession of faith. You know, as he looked ahead, as he, as he looked at what was about to happen to his nation, he saw uh, that his nation was heading for destruction. And that frightened him. When he looked within, he saw himself trembling with fear. He describes it. He says, when I heard what God's going to do to my nation, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered in my bones. He says, I am aching from head to toe. My lips are quivering. I, I, I am trembling. I am afraid. He's not looking forward to the prospect of what's about to happen to the nation. When he looked around him, he saw everything in the economy was about to fall apart. But when he looked up by faith, he saw God, and all his fears vanished. I trembled in myself, he says, that I might rest in the day of trouble when he cometh up unto the people who will invade them with his troops. He trusted in his God. You know, that's the definition of what faith is. To walk by faith means to focus on the greatness of God and the glory of God not under circumstances. Faith is looking under him. Faith is looking at God and all of his glory and all of his power and all of his majesty, which he's just done in this chapter. And when you look under God and his glory and his majesty and you see his power, what that does is it causes you just not to be able to see that which is around you. In fact, as the Bible says, you know, if we will just look into the full of his wonderful face, the things of this life will grow strangely dim in the glory of the light of his face. If we'll just turn our eyes upon Jesus. One of the marks of faith is a willingness to wait patiently for the Lord to work. Isaiah 26, 16 says, He that believeth shall not make haste. Whenever we run ahead of God, we get into trouble, don't we? You know, when, when troubles come, when situations arrive, when you and I just think that you and I can deal with it, and we run ahead of God, we end up running into trouble. That's what Abraham found, didn't he? When he, when he thought he'd run ahead of God and he had a child to Hagar, uh, Ishmael was born, and that created just problems because that was not the child of promise. The child of promise was Isaac to Sarah. 
and today we're still suffering the consequences of Abraham's disobedience to God and lack of faith in God. Well, Moses, you know, Moses suffered the consequences of trying to do things in his own strength. Remember in Exodus chapter 2, he knew that God wanted to deliver the Israelites from Egypt, so he tries to do it on his own. Remember, he was going to, I'm not sure what his theory was, but he was going to take off one Egyptian at a time. But remember, he killed an Egyptian, hit him in the sand, and all that did cause him to flee into the desert and spend 40 years on the backside of the desert before God called him and returned him to deliver the people. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says, In quietness and in confidence shall your strength, it shall be your strength. Now this is not blind faith that Habakkuk has here. Habakkuk, Habakkuk could wait patiently upon God because he knew the God that he was waiting upon. He just spent a chapter explaining to us the greatness of God going through the history of Israel, how God had delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, into the promised land, how the God had given them victory at Jericho and so on, how the God had caused Joshua to win the battle against, uh, against the nation by uh, standing, causing the sun to stand still. Uh, God, this great God, is the God that he's relying upon. He's not got blind faith here. This is not stupidity on behalf of Habakkuk. This is faith that's dependent, that is guaranteed, that's reliant upon the God that he's trusting. Back in chapter 1 and verse 5, he says this, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days, which you should not believe, though it be told you. God had already made a promise to him that he was going to work a work in his days. And it's that confidence that he relies upon now to say that I will rest in the day of trouble. And we too need to exercise that faith in our lives daily, that confidence in God, that trust in God. Because God can be trusted. God is all-powerful. and We depend upon him. He had prayed that God's work would be kept alive and strong in verse 2 of chapter 3. He said this, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. You'd ask God to remember mercy in the midst of wrath, that God indeed would continue to work. And when we know that God is working in our lives, when we know that God is doing his work, we can afford to wait patiently and quietly upon the Lord and let him have his way. When you and I have confidence in our God, when we actually do believe that he knows what's best, when we, when we actually do believe that God is all-powerful, then you and I can have confidence in him, and when we have confidence in him, it is easy for us to wait quietly upon the Lord. But furthermore, God had commanded him to wait. In verse 3 of chapter 2, we read this. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Not only did he have confidence in God because he knew God, but God had made a promise to him. He'd said to him that there was a day coming when God would deliver Israel, therefore wait upon the Lord. Don't be impatient. Wait for me. And so based upon these two things, the fact he knew the God that he was trusting and he knew the promise of God, he then could, by faith, 
wait upon the Lord. Someone has said that God's commandments are God's enablements. You know, if God's commanded something, if God's promised something in his word, then that ought to enable you and I to by faith trust him to do that which he's promised to do. It gives confidence. You know, no matter what we see, no matter how we feel, we must depend upon God's promises and not allow ourselves to, for want of a word, fall apart. You know, waiting is not easy. But waiting is important. We don't want to run ahead of God. We want God to act in his time according to his will, according to his way. And when God does his work his way in his time, it is always for the best. We just need to wait upon him. No matter... What the circumstance? We need to wait upon the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You know, when you and I, whenever we find ourselves all turned up inside, we find ourselves, you know, in, in the, those anxiety moments, we can be sure that we need to do a number of things. We need to stop, we need to pray, and we need to wait on the Lord. It's no point being anxious. You know, it says in the New Testament, that we're not to worry. Can we by worry add one inch to our stature? No, we can't. So why worry when we can pray? The song says, trust Jesus, he is the way. We're not to worry about things. We're simply to trust God and allow him to have his will and his way before you and I do something that is totally stupid. God is in control, and we can have confidence in him, like Habakkuk, and we can rest in the day of trouble, knowing that God is in control. But not only did Habakkuk declare, I will wait patiently on the Lord, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. Look in verses 7 and 18. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What an amazing declaration. He declares to you and I that by the time the Babylonians have finished with Israel, the land of Judah would be, there wouldn't be much of value left. The fig tree won't blossom. The fruit vine uh, shall, shall not bring forth fruit. The labor of the olive shall fail. The fields shall yield no meat. The flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. When they're finished, it will be barren. There will be nothing left. Buildings will be destroyed. Treasures will be plundered. And farms and orchards will be devastated. The economy would fall apart and there would be little to sing about. And yet Habakkuk finds something to sing about. You see, God is still on the throne. God is still working out his divine purposes for his people. And he could say, yet I will rejoice the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. Even though it's all destroyed, I will trust in my God. 
Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. And that is what Habakkuk here is holding on to. He couldn't rejoice in his circumstances. They were going to be pretty bleak. But he could rejoice in his God. The prophet's testimony here reminds us of Paul's admonition to us today in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, where he tells us, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In the midst of it all, we're supposed to rejoice evermore. We're supposed to pray without ceasing, and in everything we're to give thanks, no matter how dark the days may be. You know, Habakkuk discovered that God was his strength and his salvation. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 19 says, the Lord God is my strength. Somebody said, it's one thing to whistle in the dark and try to bolster our courage. It's quite something else to sing about the eternal God who never fails. Well, that was a pretty good quote. You know, we can trust the eternal God who never fails. Though his lips were trembling and his legs were shaking and his stomach was churning, which is what he tells in verse 16, his belly and my lips trembled and my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness into my bones, and I trembled in myself. Though he was in total turmoil and his stomach was churning and his lips were shaking and his knees were knocking together, the prophet burst forth in the song and worship of God, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You know, he says, I will rejoice. You don't want to say that, but he says, I will shout for joy. I mean, think about it. His nation is about to be invaded by one of the most barbaric nations on the face of the planet. The Babylonians are about to come down and devastate the nation of Israel. The walls are going to be brought down. The gates are going to be burned. The temple's going to be destroyed. There's going to be nothing much left of the city when they're finished. People are going to be taken into captivity. People are going to be dead. And the devastation is going to be absolutely total. And yet, he says, I'll rejoice and I'll shout for joy. The word shout there is the idea of I'll bound for joy. I will jump for joy. In the midst of the almost complete loss, Habakkuk can still rejoice in the Lord. You know, Paul and Silas had the same attitude, didn't they? They were in prison. And at midnight, they sang praises unto God. You find this continuing through the word of God. You find it throughout history. In the midst of complete devastation, Habakkuk rejoiced in the Lord. You see, he knew that God, that his God of majesty and power had not diminished his majesty and power because of the difficulties of trials of men. God was not diminished because the nation of Israel had failed to trust him. God was still mighty. God was still powerful. God was still on the throne. Irrespective of how the nation treated his God, God had not changed. 
and he could trust him. You know, sometimes we might be tempted to think, if God is so great and powerful, how come I'm going through a hard time? Well, our difficulties do not diminish the fact that God is a great God. Because you and I are going through trials doesn't mean that God is not capable of delivering us. Just because you and I are going through difficult times doesn't mean that God is not still on the throne. Just because our world is getting darker and darker and it seems like it's spiraling ever quicker down to destruction doesn't mean that God's lost control. You see, Habakkuk knew this was the wrong question and the wrong attitude to have because he was going through a hard time and his nation was going through a hard time did not mean that God was not still in control. Instead, he says, I know you are strong and mighty, if we're in desolate circumstances, it's because we deserve it. Therefore, I will still praise you. I will rejoice in your name, even though the situation is dire. See, the source of his measureless, unutterable joy that Habakkuk declares is not found in himself. It's not found in the nation of Israel. His joy and his praise is found in his God. In the unchangeable God. In the God of his salvation. Look in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God had promised that he would deliver them God had promised he would deliver him and he believed in God and God was the God of his salvation and that caused him to joy. That caused him to rejoice in the midst of a terrible time because he looked to the God of his salvation. You see, Habakkuk didn't just practice positive thinking here and shut out the idea of a barren fig tree and empty cattle stalls and the devastation is coming. He was honest. He understood that trouble was coming. The stalls would be empty. The fig tree wouldn't blossom. There would be nothing to eat. The, the place would be devastated. He knew that. He was not sitting there trying in a corner meditating, trying to have positive thoughts, and therefore the, art, the power of positive thinking somehow would give the victory. He knew that they were doomed. Instead, though, he saw his problems for what they were. And remember that God was greater than all of his problems. He looked beyond the trouble and he looked to his God. He looked beyond the Babylonians and he looked to his God. He looked beyond his circumstances and he looked to his God. And when he looked at his God, what he saw was somebody who was mightier, more powerful, more, more majestic than anything else. It's a bit like David and Goliath. You know, David didn't look at Goliath. He looked at God, and what he saw was that God was a hundred times bigger than Goliath, and therefore Goliath was coming down. 
And beloved, if you and I would look beyond our circumstances, if you and I would look beyond this world and we'd look to our God, what we would see is a God of glory, a God of power, a God of majesty. We'd see a God who made a promise that one day Jesus Christ would come again. And when he comes again, those who are dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And on that day of the rapture, there will be a grand victory. And that's God's eternal promise to you and I. And it will happen one day. No matter how dark it gets. No matter how difficult it is. We have a great and mighty God. And what an example to follow. If we will trust him and see his greatness like a Habakkuk, we too can rejoice. God can give to you and I, as it says in Psalm 42 and Psalm 77, songs in the night. We all should trust in him in troubled times and rejoice. Habakkuk declares, I will wait patiently for the Lord. I'll rejoice in the Lord, and that leads to his final declaration. I will rely on the Lord. Verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make his feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon uh, mine high places, the chief singer on the string instruments. One commentator said this about this verse. He said, if my legs were shaking and my heart was pounding, I'd find a safe place to sit down and relax. But Habakkuk began to bound up the mountain like a deer. Because of his faith in the Lord, he was able to stand and be sure-footed as a deer. He was able to run swiftly and go higher than he'd ever gone before. Here he is. He's trembling. He's Stomach's churning, his lips are quivering, and he says, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet. He will make me to walk upon the high places. God will give the victory. I'll trust him. You know, verse 19 explains to us one of the reasons why God permits us to go through trials. They come to draw you and I nearer to him so that God might lift us up above our circumstances so that you and I might walk on heights with him, that you and I might experience a relationship with God that you and I would not have if we did not go through the trials. You see, it's when we go through the dark valleys that we find that God's grace is sufficient for us. It's when we go through those valleys that we find that he gives to you and I a peace that passes all understanding. It's at those times that we find that he's the God of all comfort who comforts us with all comfort. It's it's those times of trials that you and I are lifted up to higher ground. It's at those times that you and I experience a relationship with God that we cannot have if we're not in those places of trials and difficulties. And Habakkuk finds that to be true. His nation is about to be invaded. People are about to die. The city is about to be destroyed. 
He has no idea what's going to happen to him personally, but some are going to be taken into exile, and maybe that includes him. Maybe he'll die. But these are dark times, troubled times, difficult times for him. But he knows the promise of God. He knows that God has promised unto him to wait patiently and God will, he will see the deliverance of his people and he trusts God and therefore in the midst of this dark time, God lifts him up and like a deer, he stands upon the mountaintop secure, rejoicing in the Lord. He's not sitting in a corner pouting in fear. He's trembling. His lips are shaking. His stomach is churning. He's not looking forward to the Babylonian's arrival. But God lifts him up, plants his feet on higher ground. You know, God allows you and I to go through the valley so that we might wait on him and mount up with wings as eagles. Isn't that what it says in Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31? Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's God's promise to you and I. If you and I will wait upon the Lord, we will mount up with wings as eagles. And you and I will experience the joy of the heights of relationship with God. It's what David experienced when he was being chased by his enemies and even when he's been chased by King Saul in Psalm 18, verses 20, 32 and 33, he says, It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hind's feet. He setteth me upon high places. Habakkuk was full of heavenly joy, for God has not changed. He's still in his holy temple. Remember this whole started in verse 20 of chapter 2? But the Lord is in his holy temple, but all the earth keeps silence before him. Habakkuk could rejoice. The Lord is his strength. Why? Because God is in his holy temple. He's still upon the throne. He's still the God of his salvation. And beloved, today it's still true. God is in the holy temple. He's still upon his throne. He is the God of our salvation. And in that you and I can trust. And in that you and I can give thanks. And in that you and I ought to rejoice. No matter how bleak it may become. Trials and disappointments weaken some but the truth is they strengthen others and in Habakkuk's case it strengthened him he found his strength in the Lord Psalm 27 verse 1 says the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid you see his trust Habakkuk's trust was not in the circumstances Remember, this book had started with a series of questions. How long will you allow the nation of Israel to continue to sin? How long will you allow this wickedness to go unabated? How long before you judge? And then, Lord, how come are you going to send a worse nation to judge the nation of Israel, to send the Babylonians who are worse wicked sinners than the, 
Those in Judah, how come, Lord, can you do that? These were his questions which he could not understand. But now at the end of this book, he says, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places. God is the victory. He will trust God, not the circumstances. Well, we need to trust the Lord and live above our circumstances. Habakkuk could only properly pray as he prayed the prayer that he prayed of faith if he actually believed what he'd been saying in these previous verses. But he actually believed it. He doesn't believe in his God. He actually believes that God is in his holy temple. He actually does believe that God is all-powerful, almighty. He does believe in the God that he's been writing about and because of that, because he believes in that God, he can trust him and offer up this prayer of faith in verses 16 to 19. He rather declared that God is his strength, that his strength was not found in the fig tree or the vines or the fields or the flocks, but that it was found in the Lord. And that's true for you and I, beloved. Our strength, our confidence day to day is not found in how much we have. It's not found in houses. It's not found in cars. It's not found in possessions. It's not found in people. Our confidence for day-to-day living is found in God. He's on the throne. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's our everything. We can trust in him. E. Campbell Morgan, the great British expositor, said this, Our joy is in proportion to our trust, and our trust is in proportion to our knowledge of God. That's true, isn't it? Our joy is related to how much we trust God, and how much we trust God is dependent upon how much we know God. The more knowledge we have of God, the greater our trust in God, the greater our trust in God, the greater our confidence day by day to live for God and the greater our joy. As the hymn paraphrase of this passage, an old hymn puts it, Though vine nor fig tree neither their wanton fruit shall bear, though all the fields shall wither nor fox flocks nor herds be there, yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice, for while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. It's true, we have no, there's nothing we can do but give thanks unto God, to rejoice in him. You know, God doesn't always change our circumstances, but God can change us to meet those circumstances. He can change our outlook to rejoice in the midst of the circumstances. That's what's meant by living by faith, beloved. Remember Habakkuk had told us the just shall live by faith? What it means to live by faith is to place our confidence in God, to trust him to give thanks unto him, to rejoice in him. To trust God absolutely daily 
knowing that he is on the throne, knowing that he is a mighty, loving God, a God we can trust. The prophet began his prayer with fear and trembling. As a result of what was about to happen, the Babylonians were on their way. The report that he had received from the Lord concerning the nation, the judgment of the hands of the wicked Chaldeans. But the prayer ends on a note of triumph, declaring that in the end, Israel's salvation is guaranteed. And beloved, we've read the end of the book, and our salvation is guaranteed. You and I are on the victory side. You and I are going home to glory one day. It's guaranteed, it's secure, it's for sure. And in the midst of the generation in which we live, we can look unto our God who we can have confidence in and rejoice evermore. Let's trust in the Lord like a bucket. Let's with a bucket wait patiently on the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rely on the Lord. For remember the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for Habakkuk. Lord, what a testimony of faith this prophet had in the midst of dire circumstances. May we have such confidence in you that we too may rejoice and give thanks to the Lord even in these dark days. Father, challenge us by your word, encourage us by its truth, and bless now as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.